0: Now, as I explained to you before I read this lengthy passage, uh, there is a reason why I chose this very lengthy passage to look at this morning. As we make our way through the book of Isaiah, we are trying to balance on the one hand um, to look at the book of Isaiah uh, so that we really understand its deep and profound message. And on the other hand, we are trying to go through the book of Isaiah in, a, in, in such a way that uh, it doesn't take us too long to do it. And what that means is that sometimes it makes sense to focus on smaller passages, and sometimes it is helpful to look at bigger chunks of passages. And that does not mean that these many verses that we read are not as important as other passages, but... There is certain thematic element that ties these passages and verses together that it is helpful to look at them all together. And the thematic uh, issue, the theme, uh, the overarching topic that binds these uh, verses together, is God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Now what is God's sovereignty? Today we answer the question mostly in terms of uh, predestination and election. We say God is sovereign because He has chosen, according to His sovereign prerogative and right, uh, the elect whom He has uh, determined beforehand to love and to save. And That is certainly true. But to understand God's sovereignty only in terms of predestination and election, Uh, is to see only part of the answer. Uh, The sovereignty of God really is explained by Proverbs 19.21, where we read, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so this morning, I like to look at these these many verses, which naturally divided into three subsections. And we will see how God's sovereignty plays out in such a way that we walk away from this passage or these verses knowing and being assured that God's sovereignty means that righteousness will prevail. And God's sovereignty means that his people will be preserved. And that is what we are going to see. The first uh, subsection of the passage that we read is chapter 9, verses 8 through 10. And here, God's sovereignty means that He declares to Israel, You will not rebuild. You will not rebuild, God's sovereignty declares. Now, you will notice that in chapter 9, verses 8, through chapter 10, uh, verse 4, Isaiah is addressing and he is speaking against the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is spoken against the backdrop of the fact that God has disciplined Israel for her idolatry, for her sinfulness, for her foolishness. God has for a long time disciplined uh, uh, Israel through warfare, through laws, through various tragedies and pain. And even now, even at this very moment, Israel was anxiously awaiting the Assyrian invasion. But the tragedy is that Israel took none of God's discipline to heart. In fact, Israel made light of God's discipline and because of that Israel was optimistic about our future and Israel was confident in our ability to overcome the Lord's discipline and meet all the challenges ahead. And see how Israel made light of the Lord's discipline. Uh, We read here in chapter 9 the bricks, the bricks have fallen. That's chapter 9, verse 10. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. And this is what they're saying. However God disciplines us, we will rebuild. God may discipline us, and in that process of discipline, He may cause the bricks to fall. But we, we will replace the common and cheap bricks with expensively crafted stones. And Israel is saying, God may take away in his discipline, he may take away the sycamore trees. Now the sycamores were common shrubs growing all over Israel. But now Israel says, God may take away the sycamores, but instead we will import expensive cedars in their place. We will rebuild bigger and better. That's what Israel is saying. Israel has not taken to heart any of the Lord's discipline, but rather has adopted this attitude toward God. Do what you want. We will rebuild. We will be bigger and we will be better. And you can clearly see That Israel has a vision for herself, which is at odds against God's vision for Israel. In chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord says Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice, and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. Now, this, this is what the Lord rebuked Israel for, and that is what Israel wants to rebuild. Because Israel, you see, has not taken to heart any of the Lord's discipline. And so when Israel says, we will rebuild, Instead of bricks, we will have costly stones. Instead of the sycamores, we will have cedar. The Lord says, not so fast. You will not rebuild. Indeed, who can build what God tears down? And so uh, we read here, the Lord raises the adversaries of Rezin against him and stirs up his enemies. Israel at this time had entered into an alliance with Syria, and Rezin is the ruler of Syria. And so Israel is looking to Syria for protection, for future security and prosperity. But the Lord says, so you think you can rebuild? So you think you can make light of my discipline? I am going to raise up Resin's adversary, so that whatever you have placed, your hope and your future will come to be nothing. And so God will bring us the Assyrians as his judgment upon Israel. Now contained in this subsection, chapter 9 verses 8 through chapter 10 verse 4, we need to see something. God opposes every nation that perverts justice, and God opposes every nation that treats the poor without mercy. Now, if you are aware of what is going on in our culture and in our society today, sometimes you hear people making light of justice, Sometimes you hear people talking without compassion and treating people without compassion, those who are poor, those who are weak, those who are vulnerable. And sometimes, even to bring up the topic of justice and mercy and help for the poor, one sometimes faces or finds that he is called derisively. Yeah either a socialist or a woke Christian. It seems to me that that is not the kind of conversations that we should be having because these issues of justice and compassion for the poor are so important to the Lord. That is the reason why the Lord says to Israel, so you think you will rebuild again again? a society where there is no justice and where there is no compassion for the poor, and the Lord says to them, you will not rebuild. God will not Israel to be rebuilt, and Israel indeed was never rebuilt. Now, it may be that we may have forgotten these warnings because we live in a time and a place where God's judgment comes slowly, And it seems as though injustice and harshness toward the poor go without consequence and punishment. But let there be no mistake about it. What the Lord speaks to Israel and what He has done towards them, it stands as an everlasting testimony that that is what will happen to every society that perverts justice and oppresses the poor. And that is part of God's sovereignty, in which He says, You will not rebuild. Now, the second section in chapter 10, verses 5 through 19, we once again see uh, God's sovereignty as He declares to Assyria, You will not prevail. You will not prevail. And so notice that in chapter 10, verses 5 through 19, Isaiah addresses Assyria, the invading nation. And this is what the Lord says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. And you see, we, we have to remember this, that the Assyrian invasion, first upon the northern kingdom of Israel, and then eventually uh, Against the southern kingdom of Judah, that disaster, that is invasion is the Lord's sovereign decree to discipline a sinful and wayward nation. And so Isaiah says, Against a godless nation I send them. This is the Lord saying, speaking of Assyria, against a godless nation, meaning Israel. Against that godless nation I send Assyria, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. And what uh, God is saying is this, since Israel refused the gentle instruction of my word, nothing remains for Israel but to teach them a lesson and to correct them no longer with the gentle and life-giving word of Scripture, but to correct them and to teach them with the heavy boots of the Assyrians upon their necks, trampling down their streets. Assyria is a mere instrument in the Lord's hand. But Assyria has seriously underestimated God, Look at uh, in chapter 10, verse 10. As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? You see, Assyria has had great success against Israel and will have great success against Judah and in that Assyria became boastful and she did not understand that it was the Lord's hand upon her and instead she begins to think look at all these nations that I have conquered they had many and great idols yet none of their idols could protect them from my power now look at Israel now look at Jerusalem When all these nations, when all their idols could not save them, will the idols of Israel, will the idols of Jerusalem be any different? Now, of course, what he calls idols is the Lord God himself. And what Assyria is saying is that none of these nations were protected by their God. And God of Israel, God of Jerusalem, he is no different. He cannot protect his people because I am mighty and I am powerful. Well, that is a fatal mistake, isn't it? To think that the Lord God is just like the useless idols of the nations. And Assyria is boasting and forgetting and not realizing, yes, Israel is weak and vulnerable. But if Israel is weak and vulnerable, it is not because God, the Lord, is weak and vulnerable and if Israel is uh, is unable to withstand the the power of Assyria it is not because God is unable to protect Israel but it is because God is sovereign and he has called Assyria to serve his purpose but if Assyria thinks that the Lord is no better than the useless idols of the nations, God is going to show His zeal for his glory, so chapter ten, verse twelve. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, He will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the King of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. You see, Assyria has no humility before God as she thinks that she can do whatever she pleases without regard to the Lord and prevail. The Lord says, not so fast. Now, this is a salutary lesson for our day, isn't it? Because there are so many powers and forces who have no humility before God. So many politicians, leaders, governments, that think that they can do as they please without regard to the Lord, forgetting, ignoring that God has placed them in positions of authority, that they may serve His holy and wise purposes, but forgetting that they wield their power, they wield their authority without justice, without righteousness, thinking they will have to give answer to no one, and they think they can prevail, And they think that God, even God, and even His Word, cannot stand before them. Well, the Lord is sovereign. And He says, not so fast. You will not prevail. And just as the Lord rebuked Assyria, and just as in time the Lord humbled Assyria and made her to be nothing, And just as the Lord glorified His name at her expense, so one day, one day the Lord will bring to nothing all the powers, all the governments, all the leaders who have disregarded God and His Word, who have lifted themselves up before Him, who acted without impunity, who acted without fear. One day, the Lord is going to bring them And crush them. And one day the Lord will glorify Himself at their expense. And that is also God's sovereignty. He appoints as his instruments even wicked people, wicked nations, wicked powers. And there is great mystery there. But he is exercising his holy and righteous purposes, and one day. He will bring to account all the wicked, all the unrighteous, all the arrogant powers and authorities. And they will have to give an answer to God. Thirdly and finally, we see uh, a beautiful aspect of God's sovereignty in which He says to His people, You will not perish. You will not Perish. And so the last subsection, the last uh, portion of this long passage that we read, is chapter 10, verses 20 to 34. And this is where the Lord, through Isaiah, addresses the faithful remnant. Now, if you can, put yourself, if you can try, put yourself in the shoes of the faithful remnant of Israel and Judah, who who saw all around them a deeply entrenched wickedness and grieved over them. The, the faithful, the godly ones who saw a foolish nation that rejected all correction from the Lord. And if you can try to put yourself in the position of the, the godly few who In no way due to their own conduct, in no way due to their own sin or rebellion against the Lord, but because the nation as a whole had become so sinful, because the nation as a whole turned against the Lord, these godly few were swept up into the tragedies that they had no hand in creating and did not deserve. I wonder if you can relate to that. And I think every Christian, to some extent, can. Because we as God's people, sure, certainly, and heartbreakingly true, that we are still sinners. And our conduct is still not what it ought to be. And yet, we have learned to grieve because of what God has made us to be. We have learned to grieve the entrenched evil in our society, the darkness, the rebellion, the foolishness, and how the society is in turmoil and chaos because of man's rebellion against God. But we also find ourselves swept up into the many consequences of sinful conduct, decisions, of the ungodly people. And so, f- uh, for God's people, witnessing that stubborn rebellion and how the stubborn rebellion of God- godless people means that we, as God's people, suffer the collective consequence of their sin. Now, that is a very difficult burden to bear, and it is a very difficult reality to face. Can you imagine these godly few in Israel who loved the Lord, who feared the Lord, who raised up their children to love and fear the Lord, but because of the sins of the nation, very likely they were about to lose everything. They were uh, very likely about to lose their lives their children would be harmed and danger. Can you imagine the sorrow? Can you imagine the burden, the discouragement? They must have feared that they were about to perish with the ungodly. But it is to them that God says, Not so fast. You will not perish. You see, the Lord knows the grief of the godly people who live in an ungodly world. And so he comforts them. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Now, whenever we hear the word remnant, we need to understand that it is it is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, There is a message that causes us to grieve. On the other hand, there is a message that gives us hope. And when the Lord says, Though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. What the Lord is saying is that every person in Israel will scheme to save himself and escape God's judgment and wrath. But no one will succeed. Because only the remnant, only the remnant will survive. Because it is God's loving purpose to preserve and keep the remnant. That is to say, on the one hand, the the fact that the godly few are designated as the remnant is a tragedy. Because that means the vast majority of the people have turned against God And only a few people have stayed true to the Lord. Can you imagine how out of place they must have felt? But on the other hand, the fact that the godly are designated as the remnant is a gracious promise filled with hope. Because that tells us that the godly, those who love the Lord, those whose hearts are true to God, the godly, they are never alone, that the Lord is with them always to preserve them and save them. And so in the end, this is what we learn from these three displays of God's sovereignty to the To the stubborn nation of Israel who says, we will survive God's discipline, we will rebuild, and we will be bigger and better, God says to them, you will not rebuild. To the arrogant nation that boasted before God, to Assyria, the Lord says, you will not prevail. And to the heartbroken and grieving remnant, the Lord says, you will not perish. And so what does that tell us? It tells us this, that in the end, nothing that man builds according to his vision will survive. No boastful kingdom, no arrogant power will remain standing before God. And only God's people will remain and only God's people rem- will remain because they are the people that God is building up according to his vision if so what what is God's vision for his people God's vision for his people is this he calls his people to receive his discipline with humility and with meekness. Now, God disciplines those whom He loves as a loving Father disciplines the children that He loves. In other words, God trains His people through discipline. Sometimes He shows us the power of hidden sins in our heart. And as He shows us the power of hidden sins in our heart, He teaches us how desperately we need His grace and how desperately we need a perfect Savior. Sometimes He disciplines us through difficult circumstances in life to teach us that we have not the strength to face the future, that we can only, only face the future and meet its challenges with the strength that God provides. And in other numerous ways, God teaches us humility through hardship, through suffering. And He does so in order to produce in us a faith that is pure, souls that are uh, purified before God, those who will bear fruit for Him. In other words, God's vision for us is to build us up to be a people who, who are not happy because we are without sin and people who don't find their happiness in the absence of danger, but people who are happy Because we find God's grace in Jesus Christ. People who rest in His faithfulness and grace because we know that God in Christ keeps us for His glory. In other words, God's vision for us is to be a community of people who give glory to God in Jesus Christ. And God's vision for us is that we become a community of people that we grow in justice and mercy. Loved ones, we serve a just God. We cannot embrace or ignore injustice. Loved ones, we have received mercy. And we cannot deny mercy to those in need. Loved ones, would you please remember what God has called you to be and remember where your hope is placed. Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness to us. Thank you for showing us your sovereignty in which we are both assured that your righteousness and your will will prevail and we, your people, as broken and as suffering as we are, you assure us that we, we will be kept safe and secure for glory to come. O Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Would you please strengthen our shaking hearts? Would you please encourage us that we may live both with humility and with unshakable confidence in your grace? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.